Good morning, church. I am so excited to be with you this morning, so excited to dig into God's word. But before we get there, hi, if we haven't met, I'm Pastor Chelsea. I've been on staff here at Colonial Woods for 12 years, 10 years as a youth pastor, and then in the past two years with our online ministries. And so um, it's a big deal for me to be up here because this was my church I grew up in. So I've been attending Colonial Woods since I was around two years old. That means many of you maybe watched me grow or taught me Sunday school or volunteered in our youth ministry when I was in my teen years. And it's crazy how God sometimes takes you places you wouldn't expect, and that would be this spot for me this morning. Well, I was very honored when Pastor Phil asked me if I would preach, and I was very excited because I was getting to preach out of the In the Beginning series. How many of you have been loving this series like myself? Yes. Genesis has just always been such a fascinating book for me. Even in high school, I remember doing deeper studies on the book of Genesis, and so I was very excited when I went off to college to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago to discover that they had an entire class on the book of Genesis. All my friends raved about it. You have to take Genesis with Wexler. It's so good. So I went to sign up for my class, and the only time slot available, 7.30 a.m., that's tough on any human, especially a college student, and I tend to be a bit more of a night owl than an early bird, but I signed up anyways, went to the class, a little bit sleepy, but it was so good and so deep. It's just amazing how Genesis really is our foundation for so much of our faith. In that class, we only made it through the first 12 chapters of Genesis. We didn't even make it through the whole book because there's just so much there that God has for us. Well, in that class, Dr. Wexler taught us that there are three purposes to the book of Genesis, and I want to share with the, those with you today. The first purpose of the book of Genesis is to lead us to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We see his majesty on display as he creates with just his spoken word, and throughout the entire book, we see God's glory throughout every single chapter. The second purpose of the book of Genesis is to point out our need for Jesus Christ. We especially see this in chapters 1 through 11, where we see the world without sin, we see the introduction of sin, and we see the aftermath of sin. It all points to how we need Jesus Christ. The third purpose of the book of Genesis is to point out the path to Jesus Christ. And we see this especially in chapters 12 through 50, but honestly, throughout all the books in the Bible, they point to the path of the cross, of how we can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to me as I reflected on those purposes of Genesis, because it shows us that God set his redemptive clock in motion from the very beginning of creation. 
If you haven't been with us over the past few weeks, we've kind of worked through the first chapters, and I'll give you a quick review, just in case you haven't caught all of those messages. Um, It begins in Genesis 1 and 2, where we talked about the absence of sin, what life was like in the garden before sin entered the world. From there, in Genesis 3, we've talked about the advent of sin, when sin entered the world through the decision of Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit and to listen to the voice of the enemy. Then in Genesis 4, we see the aftermath of sin, when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, and then we see, as Pastor Dan preached last week, the story of Cain and Abel unfold, and then that leads us in Genesis 5 through 11 to the attachment of sin. And that's some of what we're going to be looking at today. Let's open up our Bibles, if you have them, to Genesis chapter 5, where we will see that even in the midst of depravity, it is still possible to walk with God. Now, Genesis 5 opens with the written account of Adam's family line through Seth. It's a genealogy. I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest, I usually skip through genealogies when I'm reading the Bible. I just haven't always been able to see the purpose for them, but today I want to show you the purpose of this genealogy and why it's here. Um, Before we get into it too much further, though, I first want to read to you from verse 21 through verse 24. So Genesis 5, 21 through 24, introducing you to a man named Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. We're going to dig deeper into the life of Enoch in just a minute, but before we get there, I really want to show you the background that his life was set against, what was going on in that present day. And it's interesting that those few verses are set in the middle of this long genealogy. Now, genealogies can be hard to read sometimes, so I thought it might be a little bit easier to see it on a chart. I love visual aids, so I think they always help. So here are the 10 generations that we see in Genesis chapter five, from Adam all the way down to Noah, and you see Enoch sitting right there in the placeholder of number seven in that genealogy. And what this is intriguing is it shows the total length of their life, how old they were when they had each son, and the generations that were passed down from one to the other. So what's the purpose of this? Well, the genealogy's key purpose is to show us that the world around Enoch was in a downward spiral. It contrasts with the genealogy of Cain and his descendants at the end of Genesis 4. But also, I want to point out something that's kind of interesting to note here. So if you have your Bibles open, you can kind of just look and flip between these chapters. At the end of Genesis 4, verse 26, the second half of that verse, it says, At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And so only a few generations after creation, it's kind of funny to me that they had already fallen away from God so that they had to return and come back and call on the name of the Lord, but there you have it. So at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. We have Genesis 5, Genesis 6, verse 5. What do we see there? The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So from the end of Genesis 4 to the beginning of Genesis 6, we go from generations who were calling on the name of the Lord to a people whose hearts were full of wickedness. Every inclination was only evil all the time. 
So Genesis 5 sits right in the middle, and it shows us that that path of the world was on a downward spiral. It's interesting to observe the generational spiral of sin in mankind. I mean, if you think about it, it began with Adam and Eve. They sinned, they ate the fruit, they hid their sin. Even though they were walking with God in the garden, they were, that was their choice. And so from there, they passed it down to Cain. Cain's jealousy caused him to murder his brother. Well, from there, skip a few generations down to one of Cain's grandsons, Lamech. Lamech murdered a man and felt no shame. He boasted about it. He wrote a song about it. So it's crazy to see that spiral of sin that's happening generationally through these accounts in these early chapters of Genesis. With each generation, we see them slipping deeper and deeper into a spiral of sin. But the spiral of sin is a concept that we are all too familiar with still today, isn't it? In James 1, 14 through 15, it says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I have a little diagram to show you this same concept of well, this spiral of sin, according to James 1, where it begins with the temptation. And the temptation in and of itself isn't sin, but the temptation comes and presents itself to us. The enticement is us noticing that the sin looks good. The, the enticement then moves over to desire when we want the sin, and we very quickly slip from desire into the actual sin itself, and the sin leads to death, spiritual death and physical death. This was what Adam and Eve introduced into the world. This is what their generations inherited, and this is what we still face even today, this spiral of sin. I heard a quote once. I don't know the author, but it said, he who has a small view of sin can never have a great view of God. When we downplay the spiral of sin and think, oh, it's not that big of a deal, I can live with this, nobody has to know, it starts to impede on the way we view God. And we can't see him in his full glory and majesty when we allow that sin to continually reside, just like these generations did that we see in the early chapters of Genesis. What's also interesting as we look through this genealogy, because of the long lifelines it's crazy to think that Adam and Eve probably witnessed many of their great-grandkids in this downward spiral. If we were to draw a line from the end of Adam's life and pull it straight down with our genealogy chart, you would see that Adam was still alive all the way down through Lamech. This is a different Lamech, not the one who murdered somebody. I think they were short on names back then. <laughs> different Lamech. But he would have been alive to be a grandfather, to give wise counsel, to tell them about how he walked with God. And yet he was watching the generations that followed after him in the downward spiral of sin. What's the point of all this? Well, the point goes back to our purposes of Genesis, the second one that points out our need for Jesus Christ. The absence, advent, aftermath, and attachment of sin shows us that we're not dealing with a people problem. We're dealing with a sin problem, all part of God's redemptive plan that would one day point to the cross. And in the midst of this depravity, Enoch sticks out in this genealogy as one who lived differently. Because in a world walking in sin, Enoch walked with God. 
So what do we know about Enoch? We read those few verses earlier. Well, actually in all of scripture, there's only nine verses that reference Enoch by name. That's not a lot, but we can gather some interesting information about him from those nine verses. The first thing that we learn about Enoch is that Enoch did not die. He was commended as one who pleased God, and so the Lord took him away in some kind of rapture-like um, experience. Hebrews 11.5 talks about this. It says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. What an incredible statement to have said about you at the end of your life. One who pleased God. What a legacy. Well, we also know that Enoch was a prophet. We learn this from the book of Jude in the New Testament, verses 14 and 15, where it says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, the wicked that were around him, saying, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands. Turn from your ungodly acts that you have committed. And so as a man who followed God, he didn't just keep it to himself. He lived a life that witnessed to those that were around him to turn from their current path and to follow the Lord. The last thing that we learn about Enoch is that Enoch walked with God. Back to our passage in Genesis 5, 22 through 24. After he became the father of Methuselah, which is interesting because I think kids have a way of coming in and disrupting your life, hopefully for the better. In Enoch's case, when he, gave birth, when he had Methuselah, it changed him and he started to follow the Lord. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. This picture of walking with God is actually one that's quite common in scripture. I looked up in a concordance, and there are over 211 references to walking in the NIV translation. Now, yes, some of those are talking about, you know, two people walking along the road, but many of those are talking about walking as something much deeper. I put them in your notes, but I want to share just very quickly some of these references. Micah 6.8, walk humbly with your God. Amos 3.3, do two walk together unless they have agreed? 2 Corinthians 5.7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. John 8.12, the words of Jesus, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. 1 John 15.5-7, walk in the light. Psalm 119.1, blessed are those who walk in according to the law of the Lord. Psalm 23.4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. Galatians 5.25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So when we see the word walk in Genesis chapter 5, it's actually the Hebrew word halek. And here's the definition of it. It is a manner of life to continue on, to follow, to converse with a lifestyle. Walking isn't just a picture of being on the road. Walking is a lifestyle that impacts everything, and Enoch lived a lifestyle of walking with God in good times and bad, when the path was easy, when the path was hard, when temptations came, when it came to how he spent time with his family, his habits. Enoch walked with God. During 2020, the lockdown, the pandemic, you guys might remember this, it's not too far removed, but I did a lot more walking than I have at any other point in my life. Maybe the same was true for you as well. There wasn't anything else to do. Stores were closed, work was closed, so whenever we would get bored, Adam and I would go for a walk. 
We discovered a lot of pathways around our house that I didn't even know existed, so that was fun. But it was also interesting to me because even though I'd been married to Adam two years at the time, when we would walk and talk, I started to learn more things about him than I had known before. There's something close and personal that happens when we walk with someone, when we share life with someone. And that means that we walk with those that we're close to. Who are you walking with? Maybe you've had this happen where you've had the opposite. Have you ever been in a public place or a store and you're walking and then there's like a total stranger who's right on your tail? And so for me, I tried to like kind of speed walk to get away from them because it just feels a little bit uncomfortable having a stranger walk that closely to you. Okay, you're laughing. That means it's happened to you too. I'm not the only one. Yeah, we walk with those that we're close to. But here's another obvious fact about walking. We can't walk in two directions at the same time. It could be nice, we could cover more ground more quickly, but it just doesn't work that way. We have to choose which direction we're walking in. So if our walk with the Lord is a lifestyle, we have a choice who we walk with and which way we're going. We can walk with God or we can walk towards sin. We can walk towards holiness, or we can walk towards temptation. But we can't do both. Even sometimes, we, though we try to trick ourselves into thinking that we can. I shared with you, for me, that I, I grew up in this church. I was seven years old when I was baptized right up there by Pastor Bill Hostler. I uh, was in our youth ministry. It was in eighth grade, the very first time I got to preach a message. Chris Garner was my youth pastor, and he kind of forced me into doing it because I was terrified. But growing up in this church, I did a lot of the things that would make me look like the good church kid. Maybe a lot of you were the same way as you grew up too. And on the outside, it looked like I was walking with the Lord. But there was a season in high school where while I thought I was still walking with the Lord, in my heart, I was allowing the spiral of sin to take hold. It started with small things, you know, lying to my parents about if I had done my chores or not because I just wanted them to be happy, think they were good, then I would rush and go do the chores so they didn't know I'd lied about them. But then from there, it turned into just lying for the sake of lying. And from there, it turned into me stealing money out of my mom's purse repeatedly. See, sometimes we might look like on the surface we're walking with the Lord, but the spiral of sin is keeping us stuck. And we can't keep walking with the Lord when sin keeps pulling us back. It causes us to go back and forth, back and forth, until we've dug a hole that can feel impossible to get out of and make it hard to hear the Lord's voice in. But if we let the Holy Spirit convict us and lead us to repentance, we can resume that walk with the Lord. And I'm so thankful that he did that with me in high school, but here's the truth. Even as adults even as pastors, that spiral of sin still tries to come and tries to trip us up and get us stuck again and again. I know I'm not the only one who faces it. We all do. And so if we want to walk with God, we have to focus so intently on him and not let secret sins hide in our hearts and prevent us from our journey walking with the Lord. So how do we do it? How do we walk with God? Man, I wish I could just give you a simple three-step checklist. I like lists. And then you would know that you were set walking with the Lord. But it's not a list. It's a lifestyle. 
I can, however, show some markers along the way. The first thing in our walk with God is honestly beginning the journey. You have to start somewhere. Just because you walk in the doors of the church doesn't mean you're walking with the Lord. There has to be a moment, a choice, an intentional decision on your part to begin your journey walking with God. And if you've never done that, you've just kind of been absorbed into the church or your family's Christian, well, I encourage you, today's a great day to start that walk right here and right now. And after you make that choice, some would call it the, the prayer of salvation, some would say giving your heart to Jesus, whatever terminology you want to use, starting your walk with the Lord, after that, the walk begins. Early on, it can feel a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, if you haven't walked in a while and then you start walking long distances, yeah, your body's not quite used to it. And that can happen to us spiritually too. We're getting in the groove of walking regularly. We're listening to the Lord. We're talking to the Lord. We're hearing from him. We're starting to get our lives in tune with what his word says for what it means to walk with him. Sometimes in these early stages, we might face some distractions here and there. I won't ask you to raise your hands because this is embarrassing, but I'm sure in a room this size, we've had many who've accidentally like walked into something because they were looking the wrong way. I can think on a youth trip specifically, we were walking through a city, a student was talking to me and she totally missed the signpost and she plowed right into that thing. It was hilarious and she was okay. <laughs> but we've all done that, or we've been distracted. We've gotten off course a little bit. But the good news is, is that even with those distractions, the Lord just calls us forward lovingly to fix our eyes back on him. So we have to be intentional about removing those distractions so we can focus not on the world, but focus on our walk. But then as we continue in our walk, something often happens, I wish it didn't, but we often come across some kind of bump in the journey. It could be a tragedy, it could be a tough relationship, it could be something that causes pain, that hurts, a medical situation. I wish that walking with the Lord promised that our lives were perfect and that we never went through those things, but unfortunately, that's just not the case. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there you are with me. And so we're going to face bumps along our journey. And one of the bumps that often comes is that spiral of sin, trying to entrap us once again back into that hole where we are removed from God. But the good news is, is that as we walk with God, as we start to recognize that this is the enemy's tactic against us, we can start to shake him off and interrupt and kick out that temptation whenever it starts to come our way. Now, I shared with you before, this was where I was struggling because I let the bumps and the, the spiral of sin trip me up for a season in high school. And these bumps still come against us even as adults today. But the important thing is to continue on fixing our eyes on the Lord and knowing that anything that you walk through, he, who you walk with is so much greater than it. He who is with you walking, mightier than anything you could ever face. And as you make the choice to walk in obedience rather than walk towards what you want, as you do that, a close friendship and a trust is developed between you and the Lord. You start to learn to listen to his voice in a new way. You allow him to convict you when he kind of elbows you that conviction tap of, hey, we need to clean up this area in your life. You listen rather than resist. And as we do that, habits over time, a lifestyle leads to a close walk with the Lord, just like Enoch experienced. 
Enoch walked with the Lord 300 years. That's over three lifetimes of what any of us will probably ever experience, and he walked faithfully with the Lord through a generation that did not follow God. What Enoch's life teaches us, it's a reminder that ordinary people can have an extraordinary relationship with God. When we make him the center of our relationships, our finances, our home, our habits, our heart, we too can walk with God in a close relationship. Genesis was written thousands of years back, and yet our world today really isn't that different, is it? Much like the world in Genesis 5, our world today still points to our need for Jesus. Because sometimes we get discouraged, don't we? That the world around us can just feel so dark. It feels like it's harder to be a Christian in this time of life than maybe it did in the past, or sin just feels blatantly advertised everywhere you go sometimes. It can be easy to lose heart on our walk. But church, take courage, take heart. God walks with us. He has planted us in those situations to be lights in the darkness. And sometimes our world needs us to point to Jesus because when we walk and we're hiding that secret sin, sometimes the Lord allows that so that then we can show the world what it looks like to confess and to turn back to the Lord. And so instead of getting distracted in that spiral that we talked about before, we need to run to Jesus because we can't clean ourselves up on our own, but we can when we run into his mercy and grace. Enoch was in a world that was walking away from God but he was able to live different and walk with the Lord. He's a picture of God's redeeming power at work, even in the darkness of a culture, not following God. Thinking back to my time in Chicago when I was there for college, um, I worked an off-campus job. I worked a catering job. And so often, I would head to work, my work, around dinner time, and that was when everyone else in the city was heading home. So have you guys seen movies where they show the clip of like everyone in New York or Chicago walking the same way? It's like a herd of people, a sea of people. Well, when I was headed to work, I was walking in the opposite direction of all of those people. And it was kind of challenging. You you know, you had to dodge people and your path, your walk was slow sometimes, but I had to get to my destination, my job. That's what it's like for us as believers. The whole world may be walking one way, but we walk with God. We go against the flow of culture. We show the world that is so dark what it looks like to walk with God. Because even when the world walks in sin, we can walk with God. As I prepared this message, I really felt that there were three people that this message was for, three different groups. The first person that I think this message for is the person who's been walking with the Lord a long time, but they've just, they feel discouraged. They feel disheartened by the world around them, the sin around them, maybe even in your own workplace or your family or your close relationships. But God has placed you there specifically to shine your light. The second person that I think this message for is the person who thinks they've been walking with God, but they've been hiding that secret sin. (laughs) Just like our great, 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 Grandmother and grandfather, Adam and Eve, hiding our sin from the Lord, pretending like it's not hindering you, but it's keeping you stuck. I want freedom for you today. The third person that this message is for is the person who's never even started their walk with God yet. 
Maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe your family's Christian, and you thought that just by osmosis, by being around those people, that made you that too. But you have to have a decision in a moment where you begin your walk with the Lord. He wants to start walking with you today. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And when I do, I'm going to ask that you would do something bold. Because hearing God's word preached is good. Learning from God's word is so good. But there's something powerful that happens when we allow it to transform us. When we're vulnerable about where we're at and where we could be. And so if you identified with one of these three people, the person who's been discouraged in our world of darkness, the person who's been hiding secret sin, trying to walk with God, or the person who's never begun their journey, I would ask while I pray that you just hold up where you're at. Eyes are closed. This is about you and the Lord. Him seeing you opening up and being vulnerable about where you're at so that he can take you somewhere deeper. He can take you further on a new walk with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And we love you so much. And I just want to say thank you for the fact that you've redeemed us. Though in Genesis and today, we've been a people trapped in sin. God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for us so that we could walk with you. And Lord, today, in a room this size, there's people coming from all sorts of different places in life. But I want to provide this moment now for you to raise your hands. Where have you been at? Have you been discouraged in your walk? Have you been hiding secret sin just like I did or do still sometimes? Or maybe you need to start your walk with God for the very first time. He sees you. He sees your heart. God, I ask that you would do a work for every single man and woman in this room to take them deeper on a closer walk with you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now before you go, Here's the next step. Is it's good to respond, but we can't just leave it here and then go home to lunch. We need to have some kind of follow-up. And so my challenge to you, if you were the person who was discouraged, find a fellow brother or sister in Christ who can encourage you and speak God's word of life over you. If you're the person who's had that secret sin, which I think we've all been there at some point, then find somebody to confess it to. Repent, turn, and continue your walk with the Lord. And if you're the person where you're starting your walk for the very first time, I'm so excited, but I would love to pray with you, or our prayer team would love to pray with you. So I challenge you to come forward and find somebody to pray with, and they can help you with the next steps of your journey. Well, church, as you go, my prayer for you is that you walk with God. You're dismissed. <laughs>